0: Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist. As a part of my month-long celebration in August of producing 1,000 podcasts, I'm doing a special series each week. This week, I paired with Matt Kelly, founder of Radical Compliance, and my podcast partner on Compliance Into the Weeds to take a five-part exploration of the future of audit, compliance, and analytics. This five-part series talks about where internal audit has been, where they are now, and where they may be going. I think you'll find this to be a fascinating exploration of the use of internal audit, moving from the third line of defense to literally operationalizing internal audit to help manage risk and monitor risk in a more effective way to help companies become more efficient and, at the end of the day, more profitable. In part one, we take a look at uh, where we have been. Two, the three steps of evolution. In part three, I take a look at three specific examples. In part four, we consider the new working relationships that internal audit will have. In part five, we conclude with getting started. I hope you enjoy this series, and I think you will find it fascinating. This special series of The Future of Audit, Compliance, and Analytics, part of Compliance into the Weeds, is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist, and I am back with Matt Kelly, founder and editor of Radical Compliance, for part three of our five-part exploration of the future of audit, compliance, and analytics. Today, we're going to give three examples of analytics in practice. So, Matt, uh, first of all, welcome, and thank you for taking the time to visit with me today.
1: Of course, Tom. Happy to be here.
0: So, Matt, uh, I was wondering if uh, you might be able to give us some examples of how this new uh, framework or even, I would even go so far as to say Gestalt, might work uh, in, in practice. Yeah, sure. So these are three
1: examples that I have heard from um, actual audit and compliance executives, some of whom I'll be able to name, some of them the not. But uh, these are all real cases that I think are some pretty smart uses. Um, The first one actually comes from uh, Cisco, where they develop all their technology in-house, and the technology does not matter. But think through the, the theory of what they're trying to accomplish. It's really interesting. They wanted to see How many times do they get an invoice hitting the accounting department to be paid before a purchase order has received uh, been received by the accounting department? And for those of you who are not uh, fully versed in good corporate accounting, you always want to make sure there's a purchase order to be matched to the invoice to make sure that somebody in the company actually needs this thing and ordered this thing that we're getting a bill for in the invoice so you do the matching of purchase order to invoice invoice now what happens if a company gets an invoice before a purchase order uh you may be shocked to hear that occasionally at the end of a quarter or a month when a department head has more budget than they have spent they start spending all of the money to make sure they don't have to give it back to the CFO's office. So they are in a mad rush to spend down their budget at the end of the quarter, and you will occasionally see people wind up um, just telling a supplier on the phone, yeah, send me another shipment of it because I need to spend it now. And so the accounting gets an invoice before the PO shows up. This is not acceptable practice. Um, So what Cisco was trying to do was basically for every instance that it found an invoice arriving before a purchase order. Uh, it visualized that on some technology that Cisco did up itself. Not surprising. Cisco's a leading technology firm where there would be a little red dot. And so they studied how often this happened across several quarters and you can envision a heat map of hundreds and hundreds of red dots. Um, I don't know if that is really a lot for Cisco. Not anything terribly alarming, but you know, it's, it's a very large company, but it's more than anybody would like to see. There was a large volume of red dots where clearly people were trying to, um, spend down money, maybe in violation of some sort of corporate accounting policy or something like that. But once you see it, once you're able to classify every expense by when did we get the purchase order? when did we get the invoice? What department is this for? You can start to see and detect and analyze, visualize uh, which departments have what we'll politely call trouble with submitting a purchase order before the invoice. And you can see it because, dude, there's the red dot. It's right there on our computer screen. And that's actually a key point because once you can visualize it, once the the data can be pulled out from accounting and put into a visualization program and this algorithm is running and you can see all of that the you who sees it can be anybody so cisco went back to the business departments and said here's the algorithm here are your red dots please make sure that you communicate to the employees the importance of getting the purchase order first and making these red dots go away. I mean, I'm oversimplifying and being cute, but that's really what they were doing is they were finding this bad practice, quantifying it, putting it into a visual thing that humans can easily see. And you can't hide from visualized data. Once it's there, it's there. You can't ignore what's on the screen. Um, And that really focuses the mind Uh, for the department head on how to tell employees, don't do that. So within a short order, uh, Cisco would encounter maybe three or four red dots over the course of a year, as opposed to a much larger volume that they had. So very good, simple example, probably winds up saving a company money because either uh, they are being more attentive to their spending, good policy management, everybody loves that, or people find out, you know, we do have extra money, we can't spend it and the CFO gets to take it back and redeploy the capital for a more efficient purpose. Wonderful thing to do. So that's a great example, and I really like that one a lot. Uh, Another one comes to me from Travel and Entertainment. This was a fairly large public utility out in the Midwest. Uh, They had a policy where any expense, T&A expense more than $50, you needed to submit a receipt. So, of course, that means anything $49 or less, you can just submit an expense without the receipt, and it gets processed. What they wanted to do was see who submitted $49 expense requests in an inordinate amount of time relative to their peers. And that was fairly easy for them to do once they categorized all of their data the right way. And basically, this was going to be an anti-fraud measure to see, is anybody trying to slip something by us at the $49 level where they don't have to supply documentation? Now, for the record, the CAE who is there, he told me that uh, they never did find any examples of really egregious fraud. Um, But more than that, they were able to communicate to all employees that we can watch this stuff. And we can impose strong fraud controls on you, even when you don't need to supply documentation to us. We can figure out when you're doing it just a little bit too often or a little bit too frequently, where it seems shifty, and we're going to follow up. Um, again, very easy, clear, analytics-based thing to do that improves the company's bottom line and risk management because it is first off, you know, you are improving your ability to find instances of fraud. In the transaction but more than that it it communicates to the employees about the control environment that the boss is pretty powerful looking at fraud the boss has a lot of ways to find fraud even when you're being really clever and there isn't any documentation and you're operating in the gray area they can still find you there it's an important signal to send from a control environment perspective and I know that that was very well received uh, the third one Uh, This is more near and dear, I'm sure, to compliance officers' hearts. It's really more about hotline metrics and analysis. And I know for a while, um, compliance officers grappled with for a long time, what are the hotline metrics you should track? And having a lot of calls or having no calls, is that good or bad? Is your program working or is it not? What does it say about the culture? Tracking hotline calls themselves um, doesn't tell you anything really about the culture. And so the better way to do this that I've seen companies look at is configure your intake system to get as many characteristics about the call as possible, specifically around retaliation complaints. So how many retaliation complaints relative to all complaints, retaliation complaints about the type of manager, um, retaliation complaints at the type of year, uh, time of year, retaliation complaints in specific markets or at specific levels of the company or even against specific people, if you can track it all the way down. Uh, but really, what you're trying to do is identify where are the problem areas where people seem to be retaliating more than the company would like, which generally is going to be at all. Uh, and then if you track that over time, Not only does it tell you what does our culture say, why do we have this retaliation problem, but if you're tracking it over time, you can figure out, is our ethics training, is our tone at the top, is that working? Because if complaints about retaliation keep on increasing, that tells you that maybe the training you're giving to managers is not working. Or it might just say that your employees are feeling more emboldened now Uh, because you had a bad tone at the top about these issues later, you know, but it helps you to ask the right questions and really get at how do we make what we are doing more efficient? How do we reduce retaliation risk? Um, How do we get better at that? As I've said before, it's kind of like going to the gym and giving yourself in a good physical shape. Same sort of dynamic. This is what the data can tell you. Will help you to ask the better questions to make you a better company because you have a better anti-retaliation stance. Uh, So those are the three examples on invoices before PO orders, uh, travel and entertainment expenses without documentation, and um, examining retaliation complaints to get a better sense of your corporate culture. Very practical, important things that you can do today that you could not have done 10 years ago because the tech wasn't there. But if you configure things smartly, that's, that's the sort of stuff you're able to do.
0: So, Matt, unfortunately, we're near the end of our time, but I've been visiting with Matt Kelly in part three of our five-part exploration of the future of audit compliance and analytics. Today, we took a look at three examples of analytics in practice. I hope you'll join us in our next episode when we take a look at new working relationships. Matt, as always, thank you. Thank you. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for joining us for this five-part series on exploring the future of audit compliance and analytics with Matt Kelly, founder of Radical Compliance. If you have any questions, you can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. You can email Matt at mkelly at radicalcompliance.com. I hope you will join us again for another episode.